Hello, and welcome to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I am your host, Mr. Miller. This podcast will cover a number of topics that happened on this date in history. Please visit the podcast webpage at thishappentoday.buzzsprout.com. There you can download the notes page, which will help you organize the information, as well as develop your own ideas on how these events change the world around us. If you're interested in hearing more, please consider subscribing so you will not miss out on what happens tomorrow in history. Today is May 4th. He was one of the most notorious gangsters in U.S. history. Alfonso Al Capone was finally taken down, not by the police or Agent Elliot Ness, but by the U.S. government. Unable to pin any of the numerous murders and other criminal activity Capone had ordered as the kingpin of Chicago's illegal underworld, the feds were finally able to get Capone on tax evasion charges. On May 4, 1932, after previously being found guilty of not paying over $200,000 in taxes on illegal income, and after nearly a year of appeals and denials, Capone was transported to Atlanta State Penitentiary to begin serving his 11-year prison sentence. He would later be transferred to Alcatraz, where he would serve out the remainder of his prison term and where he would suffer a mental breakdown. He was released from prison in 1939 and died on January 25th of 1947 in Miami, Florida. To this day, those who have studied the tax evasion case against Capone claim he had terrible legal representation. In fact, his two lawyers, Michael Aaron and Albert Fink, were criminal defense attorneys, not tax attorneys. Many legal experts who have studied the case believe Capone should have been found not guilty in that the statute of limitations had expired on many of the charges the government had brought against him and that it was never proven that Capone knew that illegal income was taxable, something that prosecution should have needed to get a conviction. A valuable lesson that still applies today, poor legal representation can have dire circumstances. In 2013, Alone in the single-seat cockpit and high above the American Southwest, pilot Bertrand Picard could hear only his plane's gearbox and the quiet whine of four electrical motors, no noisy jet engines. He's flying the Solar Impulse, considered the world's most advanced sun-powered plane. Picard piloted the craft for 20 hours, first cruising along the California coast after taking off from Moffett Field in Mountain View near San Francisco just after dawn. He passed over Edwards Air Force Base, where other aviation milestones have been made, and then touched down early Saturday morning at Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport. He landed having used only three-quarters of the plane's battery power. It's a little like being in a dream, Picard said as he stepped on the tarmac. The plane's creators, Picard and fellow pilot Andre Borschberg, said the trip is the first attempt by a solar airplane capable of flying day and night without fuel to fly across America. But Picard said Saturday afternoon that even more important than marking another aviation milestone is the hope that the journey will provide an exponential boost for interest in renewable energy and clean technology. If an airplane can fly day or night without, with no fuel, just on the sun's power, of course it means that everybody in daily life can use this technology for his house, for heating and cooling systems, for lightings, for cars, for trucks. There's so much we can do now that we have a cleaner future, Picard said. From Phoenix, the aircraft will travel to Dallas-Fort Worth Airport in Texas, Lampert-St. Louis Airport, Dulles Airport in Washington area, and New York's John F. Kennedy Airport. Each flight leg will take about 19 to 25 hours with 10-day stops in each city. Borschberg is hoping to pilot the last leg, which could afford him the chance to fly past the Statue of Liberty. The plane, which has previously impressed audiences in Europe, is powered by about 12,000 photovoltaic cells that cover massive wings and charges batteries. The delicate single-seat solar impulse flies around 40 miles an hour, 65 kilometers per hour, and cannot go through clouds. 
It weighs about as much as a car, making it vulnerable to bad weather. Its average speed for the first leg of the trip was about 60 knots with a tailwind, Forsberg said. It Ideally, the plane climbs up to about 27,000 feet or so during the day to collect solar and charge the batteries. Forsberg and Picard were ready for a sing series of tours over the next few days to show off the technology to Phoenix school children, university researchers, and others. There are a lot of people who want to see this airplane, said Picard. So how hard is it to fly a solar plane? Despite the aviation advancements made over the last century, Picard said he and Borsberg have a lot in common with the early pioneers. 100 years ago, the planes had to fly in good weather, and there was only one person on board. Now all, now we have completely new technology. We fly with no fuel at all, but of course we need to fly in good weather, and we carry only one pilot on board. We're starting a new cycle. It's really the beginning of something new. And the, finally, the growth of American industrial might in the 1870s and 1880s was paralleled with the emergence of unions representing the workers. Foremost among the early labor organizations was the Knights of Labor, which listed more than 700,000 members by the mid-1880s. Working conditions at the time were abysmal, little concern for safety existed in most factories, pay was low, benefits were non-existent, and the workday was often 10 to 12 hours, six days a week. The immediate focus of the KOL and other unions was to achieve an eight-hour day. On May Day, 1886, the workers at McCormick Harvesting Machine in Chicago began a strike in the hopes of gaining a shorter workday. On May 3rd, police were used to protect site strike breakers and a scuffle broke out. One person was killed and several others were injured. The following day, May 4th, a large rally was planned by the anarchist leaders to protest alleged police brutality. A crowd of 20,000 demonstrators was anticipated at Haymarket Square, where area farmers traditionally sold their produce. Rain and unseasonable cold kept the number down to about 1,500 to 2,000. The gathering was peaceful until a police official, in contra contravention of the mayor's instructions, sent units to the crowd to force it to disperse. At that juncture, a pipe bomb was thrown into the police ranks. The explosion took the lives of seven policemen and injured more than 60 others. The police fired into the crowd of workers, killing four. The period of panic and overreaction followed in Chicago. Hundreds of works were detained, some were workers were detained, some were beaten, some during interrogation, and a number of forced confessions was obtained. In the end, eight anarchists were put on trial and seven were convicted of conspiracy to commit murder. Four were hanged in November of 1887, one committed suicide, and three were later pardoned by Illinois Governor John Peter Atgeld. Clearly, the ranks of the Knights of Labor and other unions were filed, or filled with many socialists and anarchists. Some were committed to violent disruption of the capitalist system. However, no evidence was provided at the time, nor has any been discovering since, discovered since, which connected the eight convicted workers to the bomb throwing. Widespread fear of unionism and other radicalism influenced most of the public to support harsh treatment of the accused. The Haymarket Riot was a signal event in the early Amer history of American labor. It was largely responsible for delaying acceptance of the eight-hour day as workers deserted the KOL and moved toward the more moderate American Federation of Labor. For many years, the police at Haymarket Square were regarded as martyrs and the workers as violent anarchists. That view moderated to a large extent in later times. You have been listening to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I thank you for listening and I hope that you have enjoyed learning about historical events from the past. Thank you to the following websites for their information regarding today's topics. ThePeopleHistory.com Al Capone at ProskinLawFirm.com SolarPlane Lands in Arizona at 
phys.org, P-H-Y-S dot O-R-G, and the Haymarket Square Riot at u-s-history.com. The music used as the background track for this podcast is Americana, created by Kevin McLeod on Incompetech.com. If you enjoyed this information and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing as this will keep the historical events in your feed in the morning for each day. I hope you have a great day.